Tell Us How to Make It Better is partnering with The Readiness Lab, the home for podcasts, webinars, and training in the field of emergency and disaster services. You know the cost of disasters, uh, the intensity of disasters, uh, the, the continued cycle of disasters that we've been in for the past probably 20 years. At some point, it becomes unsustainable, right? You know, when when is that next disaster that's so big that we can't write, you know, the federal government, they can't write the check for it. I'm George Siegel, and this is the Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. Every week, we introduce you to people who are working on real-world problems and providing actual solutions. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me on today's Tell Us How to Make It Better podcast. If you've listened to any of the podcasts or if you've seen my documentary film, The Last House Standing, you know that I'm very big on people understanding the risks of where they live and what could happen in terms of major disasters, because it's a life-altering experience that many people never recover from. So when I can have a guest on that is an expert in the field, I think it makes for a great show. My guest today is Pete Gaynor. Pete is the Senior Vice President and Director National Resilience Response and Recovery Programs for the Lero Group and is a, the former FEMA Administrator and Acting Secretary of Homeland Security during the last presidential administration. During his time at FEMA, Pete led the agency's response to more than 300 presidentially declared emergencies and major disasters. And during the historic year of 2020, he oversaw FEMA's first ever operational response to a nationwide pandemic while simultaneously responding to a record number of disasters. As a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, Pete directed FEMA's operational coordination of the whole of government response to COVID-19. Pete, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, George. It's good to be here. That's a lot. You were in some tumultuous uh, situations. Uh, before we get into the, the, the reason I had you on, what was that all like for you, being caught up in all that stuff? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how it all happened. I think it's just like maybe the wrong place, wrong time or right place, right time. It depends how you look at it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, unplanned. I think the, you know, I went down to help my friend Brock uh, be the deputy and then, uh, some things changed and then, uh, COVID hit and we had, uh, probably two of the worst, uh, fire seasons, hurricane seasons in history, uh, on top of that. And, uh, you know, it's, a you know, you're, you're in a special place. Uh, the nation's actually asking you to do, uh, not just me, but the entire FEMA organization. Uh, they're asking you to do impossible things. And somehow, uh, through really hard work and really great people, you rise up and, and you do it. And so it was an honor to be down there uh, to, uh, to help uh, the nation through that uh, early pandemic. Yeah, I imagine it's very difficult to be in a job where um, you're criticized for everything. And and when FEMA is involved, you know, I made a documentary film called The Last House Standing, and we featured Brock in uh, Brock Long in the film. Yeah. FEMA is in such a thankless position going into a disaster because people are devastated. Their lives are turned upside down. And if it goes, there's no really going well. I mean, it's just it, it just seems like a thankless job. Yeah. So uh, I tell people, and so I've, I've been a local emergency manager and a state emergency manager and a federal emergency manager and, uh, you know, FEMA or whatever state or local you work in, you know, it's the only agency that has emergency in its title, right? So you, you know, it's not going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to be good. And, and that's, kind of, that's kind of our forte, right? When, when disaster happens, uh, we, we stand up and, and we do what we're, what we're tasked to do, and that's bring relief to disaster survivors 
uh, you know, these days from pandemic to hurricanes to you name it, right? We're, we're in that, we're in that mix. Uh, and, and so it, so from time to time, it, it, it can be a thankless job uh, because everyone wants it perfect and uh, disasters and chaos. And uh, this business is an imperfect business, uh, but you do your best. And, and I'll, I, and I, and I've, I've told this to other people, uh, you know, I'll match any one bad story with, 10,000 great stories about what uh, FEMA or emergency management has done to help uh, those that are in need, those disaster survivors. So yeah, you have to have a really, really thick skin. Uh, uh, I, one of the things I did in DC, never listen to media because you'll, you'll go crazy. And, and I think sometimes uh, it may prevent you from doing the right thing uh, when you listen to what they're saying. And it just gets you off track. So, you know, stick to your morals, stick to your, your integrity, do the right thing. And, and uh, hopefully it all comes out uh, uh, with a plus sign. Yeah, I think the media naturally just looks for the bad stories. Yeah. You know, they very rarely gravitate towards the good ones. You know, when I used to go around talking about the media to groups, I would say if you have a nice family of five or six people living in a house and everybody's, you know, they go to church, they, they do their jobs, they're A students. Nobody cares, but all of a sudden, dad gets caught with a hooker. Mom is uh, drunk driving. Uh, the kids uh, set fire to something. It's the lead story of the news. Yeah, yeah. We want to see bad things happen. Yeah. So, and and, uh, and that's probably human nature, right? We, I guess, maybe we take pleasure in somebody else's uh, misery. Uh, I don't really get that. Uh, being in the misery business, right? You want you want to kind of relieve all that. Uh, and and so you know, just the the like the 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 ground floor of all this is. You know, the FEMA administrator travels a lot, right? You know, to and from disasters, uh, all on, for the most part, all on commercial uh, airlines. Uh, and so I did a lot of traveling across the country from disaster to disaster. And, you know, typically I'm wearing my FEMA gear, my FEMA shirt, and they don't really know who you are. Uh, but in an airport, I, I've had dozens of people come up to me just randomly, right? And just like, and, and they're not thanking me, me personally, but they're thanking FEMA for everything that they've done for a brother or a sister or cousins in some previous disaster. Uh, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, you know, you guys are, are do a terrible job. I think 100% of the interaction that I've had is people that really appreciate uh, FEMA or emergency managers doing the thing that, that uh, you know, not many people want to do or can do. That's great. And that's so yeah. important. Uh, it's, it's great to hear that. Now, what I like to do with this podcast, one of the reasons I started it is we identify problems and we talk about people that are solving them. And I, I think that's so huge rather than just complaining about things to actually make a difference. So what would you say is the primary issue or problem that you work on? I mean, now? Now, in your day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I work for a company called Lero, and basically it's an engineering uh, architecture company, uh, uh, project management, construction management. We don't do construction, but we do the, the, you know, the management or all those things. And we have a disaster business, disaster recovery business. And uh, you know, one of the reasons I joined is is to like uh, is to build a more resilient nation, right? Um, and, and because if you don't, you know, invest in uh, you know pre-disaster uh, initiatives like brick building, resilient infrastructure and communities, a new program at FEMA, we'll just make investments in 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 trying to make the next disaster a little less. Uh, impactful to your to your neighborhood or to your state or to your town or your city, then you know we we get into this cycle. So uh, you know how do you you know promote best practice? Uh, for instance, building codes, right? Uh, how, you know, 
in order to have a more resilient home, right? Just a simple concept. You have a more resilient home. You have to have a design and you have to build it to uh, a code that can withstand uh, the hazards where you live. So whether you live on the coast, you live uh, in earthquake country, you live, uh, you know, in flooding, uh, a flooding section of the country, you know, what can you do to make your house more resilient, uh, retrofit it? Uh, because that's where it all starts, right? If you can just, if every, if every homeowner uh, in, in this example just did a couple things that make their home more resilient, uh, buy flood insurance, for instance, to you know, give your, your, your family a little more um, uh, insurance when, when the bad day comes, then I think we would all be better off as a nation, right? Uh, and, and you know, right, you know the cost of disasters, uh, the intensity of disasters, uh, the, the continued cycle of disasters that we've been in for the past probably 20 years, at some point it becomes unsustainable, right? You know, when, when is that next disaster that's so big that we can't write, you know, the federal government, they can't write the check for it. Uh, so I think a lot of smart people have done a lot of work to say, hey, let's make these, let's make these investments in, in disasters, disaster resilience, risk reduction ahead of time, because we know we're going to spend you know, uh, tens, 20 times the amount when the disaster happens. So let's get smarter. So again, I think that's where my, my head is. That's where my effort has been is, you know, how do we become a more resilient nation? And, it, and it's a big word, right? Uh, it sounds really great to say, but actually doing it is really hard. Yeah, I would think that's, that may be a more daunting task than what you were dealing with at FEMA. And the reason I say that is all the effort that goes into from the building uh, builders lobbying to keep uh, codes lower in, in Mexico beach, which we featured in our film, I think the wind rating for building houses was 130 miles an hour before hurricane Michael. So they raised it to 140, but they were hit by a category five hurricane. So you already know that a bigger storm can hit yet. They didn't rebuild to survive that. Why does yeah. that happen? Uh, because we love status quo in this country, right? We don't want to be upset by new rules, new regulations. Um, and, and again, I think it goes back to human nature. We just want, you know, I think most people just want to live their life the way they've been living it. And they don't want to, you know, any added uh, heartache or expense in, in doing anything different. Uh, but I started my life as a local emergency manager. And, you know, you, I know you've heard the, the saying that all, you know, disasters, you know, start and end locally. And it's absolutely true. And so, you know, the federal government is not going to mandate, has no authority to mandate local building codes. It has to start at the very, very bottom uh, uh, of, the, of the pyramid, right? Uh, and if you can have strong building codes, you can convince your city council, your town council that it's in the best interest uh, of your community uh, economically, right? Uh, life and death, property, preservation. If you can convince people that it's the right thing to do, then they'll do it. And Mexico Beach is a really a great example, right? They, they probably had the worst, some of the worst, uh, lowest building codes in the nation. And I think now, if you went back now, um, uh, you would find out that they probably had some of the strongest building codes in the, in the country, only because they know how bad it can be, uh, right? They, they've, been, they've been beat down by a, uh, a hurricane that changed their way of life, and now they've seen the light. The tough thing that I think everyone struggles with is, they, they think, hey, this is never going to happen to me. It, it only happens uh, to people on TV. It doesn't happen here. I'm not sure why you want me to do this uh, at, at, you know, maybe at some expense to me. 
so you have to really try to convince people, hey, it is, it is in your best interest, it's in your community's interest to make these small investments so you can go on and live your life the way you want to, right? Uh, but there's some give and take in that. And, and, and again, uh, I think like 65% uh, of you know, counties, cities, and towns don't have uh, a modern building code. And why is that? I mean, I, I don't necessarily know, but, but uh, you need to keep the pressure on your local elected officials to change those things. But in, in the case of Mexico Beach, wouldn't it have made sense to say, let's take South Florida's building standards. Let's build to withstand a, hurric- a Category 5 hurricane as opposed to a Category 3, maybe maybe a 4. Why? So t- that was a perfect example. It's like with yeah. what they went through there, it was just it was one of the most unbelievable scenes I've ever seen with all the destruction and the people's lives that were turned upside down. And, and that's not even calculated in the cost of damage is how your life is disrupted yeah. and how vulnerable you are after a disaster. So if ever there was a situation where they could have built back to a higher code, th- that seems like it should have been it. Well, I mean, I think it's lack of imagination on, on, on a lot of people's part. So you've been down there and I've been down there to Mexico Beach and you've seen the pictures of before. It's a you know wonderful place to have a beach home right on the water, small community, right? Very tight knit. Uh, a lot of old families down there that you know pass on those some of those homes generation to generation. And then you go, then you go back after, and it's nothing but flat concrete pads. Like there's no homes down there. And so how could you have convinced the homeowners pre uh, uh, pre hurricane to like, hey, this is what your community's gonna look like if you don't do anything? So I mean, you know, how do you get people to like see that vision and take action? Um, it, it, it takes it takes a lot of work. Uh, some people down there, I mean, there weren't many homes that withstood. Uh, withstood the hurricane, but there were some homes down there that uh, built a code. You know, they were they were uh, elevated off the ground, or they had uh, you know reinforced concrete that uh, allowed that home to stand. And you look around, it's like you know ninety nine percent of the homes are gone. And there's a couple down there that took action. Well, imagine if that was the other way around, right? Mexico Beach would you know they they would have recovered in a, a, a matter of weeks if that was if that was the case. Yeah, and I, so I don't understand it. I, I think they could have built back to a higher standard. I fear for what would happen if they got hit by another one. And if we look at Louisiana, what was it? Last year was two years ago. They got hit by four hurricanes. Yeah. Uh, Lake Charles and surrounding parishes, they really took a beating from uh, Laura Delta. I've, I've lost track. I think I, yeah. I think I, I was in Louisiana so much. I got to pay taxes uh, last year on, <laughs> on all my business down there, but yeah, but, but, it, but, um, uh, yeah, it's it's human nature, and how, and what's the trick to overcome human nature? I, I I don't know. If I figured it out, then I'd, I'd be a hero. But uh, it just takes pressure, and it, it, it and it really starts. I think it starts with building codes, right? That if you can change building codes, then you can actually actually uh, build to a more resilient uh, uh, state. And it doesn't cost that much more. I mean, I'm looking at some of the stats. If you build like a three hundred thousand dollar house, you know, one and a half percent of that total. You know, forty-five, five thousand uh, dollars is is uh, dedicated to you know more resilient building, hurricane straps, and all those kind of things. It's not it's not expensive, but you just have to, you know, you have to uh, realize that uh, you need to do that uh, because it's in your best interest, your family's interest, your community's interest. Yeah, and you know, I think guys like you that are experts in the field and 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 people that I read the stuff that they post online, I go, well, these guys understand it because they're doing it every day. But we were in Moore, Oklahoma, where it took. What four or five major tornadoes for them to finally yeah. change the building code there. 
I was amazed by how many people there did not have a storm cellar. So we went around figuring, trying to find out how much they cost. And it ended up, you could get one for 3,500 bucks. You could finance it with very low interest. Yet a very small percentage of the population had it. Why do you think that is? Because if I lived in Oklahoma, that would be a must have. You see what happens there and the damage that tornadoes. So they they did the right thing. They finally changed the building code and it has saved structures. But people still don't seem to take it as seriously as they should. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it goes, you know, just the human nature, right? It's, it's not going to happen, right? It's it only this, these, these things only happen to other people. And uh, it hasn't happened, you know, um, you know, let's say that you're 65 years old, you've been living on the planet for 65 years in that community. And maybe it's happened a couple times, never happened to you directly. Uh, and you just say, well, it's not, you know, the odds are, it's not going to happen. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to try to beat the odds. Uh, while I'm here on the on the planet, and and in some cases that may work for you, in other cases uh, not so much, right? Uh, because you've seen the devastation across the country, whether it's from a tornado or flooding or wildfire, uh, it, it's it will it will it will change your life forever, right? It will it will completely change your life forever, and I'm not, I'm not sure people realize that. It, it, yeah. And, and and so and just to like to to pound on some of the things that are head scratchers. I went to uh, flooding uh, in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, a couple of years ago and a uh, really nice neighborhood, you know, uh, you know, water, you know, on the, on the river um, and it flooded and it probably flooded there before, uh, but not like this. And so you walk around the neighborhood and houses are completely gutted. All their belongings are on the front lawn, right? It's all going to the landfill. And then you start talking to people about, you know, hey, how you, you know, do you have flood insurance? No. Okay. So that means you're not getting anything from the federal government, uh, you know, the National Flood Insurance uh, Program. You're not getting any money from the federal government to help you, you know, rebuild your house because homeowners insurance doesn't cover you for that kind of flood. Uh, and then you run into people that say, well, I don't even have homeowners insurance. Like the, the house was passed down to me. So I have no flood insurance. I have no homeowners insurance. And uh, I'm not really sure what to do, right? And the, this is like a middle-class neighborhood. This is, you know, this is just like middle-class America. And then you have to scratch your head about how could you, how could you allow that to happen, right? But how, I mean, you know, as head of family, how can you allow uh, insurance, home insurance, to lapse on your structure that was at 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 risk of flooding, right? Because again, you're not, you know, most likely, maybe you get back in that house with the help of friends and family. But maybe you're, you know, maybe you 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 have to move to something subpar, right? So if you can if you can have that vision of what it, what it can look like, uh, then maybe you'll you'll do something different. And that and again, I think that's the story you have to keep telling, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I that's one of the things I was talking to the folks at FEMA about is I think that should be the driving message. And if it already is, excuse me for for not having seen it marketed places. But the pre-disaster preparation, I think, is where a lot of the attention should be. And in, um, when we were in Malibu, California, after the big fire there, there were people that had old cars that were valuable collector's cars, but they weren't running, so they didn't have them insured. Yeah. Coin collections, a lot of things in their houses. And those are the things, insurance might not even be able to replace them, but at least you would get something. But I think people go, nah, I spent the money last year, but we didn't have anything bad happen, so I'm not going to spend it this year. You know, I, I, I wish I could take people to disasters, right? Like the, the average, average American 
uh, citizen, right? And 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 like live, like in like take them to there. Uh, that disaster, and you know, you mentioned fires. I, I, I was up in—I uh, forget what neighborhood it was—but touring neighborhoods in California after one of the fires in Paradise. In, uh, Paradise, and then uh, there, there was another community that we went to. Uh, yeah, Paradise, unbelievable, right? Uh, but we were we were walking through this neighborhood, and there was a fire apartment. Uh, you know, so the whole the whole neighborhood is burnt down. The only thing that the only thing that survived those fires are like gas grills and bicycles and things that are made out of metal cars right uh even cars don't survive that well uh and there's a homeowner uh, who is uh with the help of some local firefighters is uh sifting they have these little square uh wooden trays with a wire in the bottom of it and they're sifting through uh you know shovelful at a time their entire household to try to find something uh, like a family memento, right? Whether it's rings or a watch or something, but essentially everything else in that home, right? From the from the roof to the cellar is ash. There's there is nothing left of your life, and you're trying to sift through tons and tons of debris to find, you know, hopefully find that memento maybe that your grandmother gave you. It 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 will it will crush you, right? If you were there if you were there doing it. So if you could take an you know, American taxpayer. In the moment to go see that, we would change. We would change the way we look at disasters and preparing for disasters. Well, that's uh, why how, I wish how, I. That's why I'm trying to get more people to see my film because we yeah. we give them story after story. There's a family in Malibu that they had four fireproof safes that melted during yeah. the fire and ruined everything. The only thing that survived on their lot was a pizza oven that they had yeah. imported for, from Italy. And the woman yeah. said, "I wish I had kept my jewelry in the pizza oven." It might have survived, but it's heartbreaking. And then some people go, well, they're rich. They can afford it. No, nobody can afford that. The, no. the things you lose, you can never get back. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. You, you walk away with nothing. I mean, you, you walk away with the, you know, the, the concrete foundation. That's, that's all that you have. And then, good, you know, good luck building. Have you been to some of those, those uh, communities like Paradise, uh, Santa Rosa? You know, building back after, after a fire or, or a major disaster. It is it is long a long haul if you're a homeowner, right? It, it is it and it's it's it will it will break your spirit. Well, so what people found out in Malibu yeah. was because the code had evolved over the years, you could only build back the exact footprint of your yeah. house if you wanted to start right away. If not, yeah. you had to go through the whole permitting process. So if you wanted to get that view or you wanted to have your house facing a certain way, it wasn't a slam dunk. You could get away with that. Yeah, I mean. Uh, if you could, if you could only inject people with some of that, right? Uh, you know, as a as a, uh, a vaccine against, you know, uh, not taking action, we'd be, we'd be better. But um, it, it just, it, uh, you know, it, it takes uh, all of us beating the drum to, to to get that through people's heads. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think it's very hard to get people to to, to get out of that way of thinking. And another thing they don't think about too, is after the disaster, all the lowlifes that come in and then rip them off and take advantage of them. And we saw numerous examples of that in Panama city and Mexico beach where $10,000 to throw a tarp on your roof or assign your insurance benefits over to us. And we'll make sure your job gets done. And then they disappear. One guy ended up in jail who was actually showing us around. I mean, this just brings out the low of the low. Yeah, it's it, 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 it is heartbreaking. Right. So you're paying ten thousand dollars for a, a blue roof where the where the uh, Army Corps of Engineers will do it for free. 
So, so like, how did that happen? How come you didn't know about free roofs, right? Or, you know, a program to keep you safe, uh, you know, through your local community to make sure that every contractor has a license that comes in, right? There's, there's, there's some really proactive communities out there, but you're, but you're right. You, you know, you're already bent and broken from the disaster. And now, uh, uh, you know, people come in to take further advantage of you and set you further behind. So, you know, listen, this is a, uh, I mean, I think if we had an answer for all of it, you know, we, we wouldn't be talking today. Um, and, and it takes just, uh, again, beating the drum about uh, what you can do pre-disaster to make yourself more resilient and uh, how to keep yourself safe uh, should a disaster happen and get back to, to uh, whatever that new normal is quicker. Um, uh, and, and the speed, the uh, intensity of disasters just keeps coming and coming and coming. And, and in some cases, it's hard to, it's hard to catch up. I mean, I, and, and I'm speaking for FEMA, right? Uh, hundreds and hundreds of disasters pile up uh, and uh, you know, recovery is a long grinding um, path for, for everyone to include the federal government uh, right down to the homeowner. Yeah, I wish there was a way that could be incorporated into the statistics of a disaster is the pain and suffering after the disaster, because people's lives, you know, the media leaves to go on to the next story. Yeah. And then those people are living in that hell for years. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are disasters on the books today, uh, you know, dating as far so federal disasters, you know, probably dating as far back as uh, uh, the year 2000. Uh, still, uh, I remember as the FEMA administrator, uh, I was approving expenditures for Katrina. And Katrina was 2004 and was still spending money on Katrina, right? And so let's do the math on how many disasters we've had since 2004. I don't even know what the number is, right? But it's hundreds, maybe even a thousand of federal declared disasters. And we're still paying uh, for all those. Again, it becomes unsustainable. And, and so where's the balance between what the federal government can do for an individual and what an individual can do for him or herself, right? So again, all starts locally. Champion those building codes and make sure that, uh, you know, if you have to retrofit a house or you're building a new house, that you're building to standards, and again, to keep your family safe. And that's essentially what it is, right? How do you keep your family safe uh, and out of harm's way? Well, it's, in, in this case, we're talking about natural disasters. It, this, is, this is about building codes and and, uh, you know, building uh, to standard or above standard. Yeah, that was the primary message in our film is it really starts from the bottom up yeah. that every homeowner needs to be their own best advocate because truly nobody's looking out after you. Your builder is counting nickels when he builds your house. And it, unless you ask for specific things, I don't think they're going to do them. And if they proudly strut and say, we build to code, you need to check what the code is and see if the code's even enough where you live. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, the, I wrote this post a couple of weeks ago about, you know, building standards. And uh, I, it came to me one day because I'm about to build a, a new house for myself. And, uh, you know, wouldn't it be embarrassing, right? Just like personally embarrassing uh, for the former FEMA administrator's house for the roof to blow off, right? That would be That would be personally and professionally embarrassing for me. And then, so I said, Ooh, let me make sure that, you know, when the, when the, the builder gives me all the specs that he has all these things that, you know, building, you know, straps and, and connectors and tie all those things that don't cost a lot of money, but will make my new home, uh, you know, more resilient. Uh, am I getting uh, impact resistant glass in my house? Right. Uh, uh, is that part of my new build? So there's a lot of things. So it just, it made me wonder like, Oh, 
Uh, a lot of people are either retrofitted and building a house. So let me let me help let me help myself, right? Uh, and uh, because I've seen how bad it can be, but let me help some others by pointing out some things that are uh, you know uh, cheap to do, easy to do, uh, and with some forethought. You know, it doesn't really add too much uh, money to you know again whether you're building a new house or retrofitting a new house uh, or, or looking to buy a new house to see if those things are, are part of that uh, part of that build. So lots of and there's lots of resources out there that you can go to and get free help from. Did the builder run when he saw you coming, knowing that that's gonna, <laughs> he's going to have somebody watching him who actually knows what they're doing? Uh, <laughs> I, I probably haven't. I, I, probably, I don't have a builder yet, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm still in the planning process. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure when I lay out all my demands, I'm sure the builder will uh, have to swallow hard a few times. Yeah, I mean, I... I I'm going to give an expert like you one piece of advice only because I've gotten kind of screwed every time I build or or buy a house is you got to watch those guys every second. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, just every second. So in your opinion, when we take the problem that we've been talking about, it's that all these disasters, all this, all this rebuilding and all it keeps happening again and again, how do we make it better? Uh, well, well, I mean, so the, the, the first thing, and I'll just talk about some just basic, basic things that, you know, anyone can do today, Go, you know, I, I, I forget the exact stat, but, you know, 95% of the counties in America have, have flooded in the past year or so, right? So that's virtually, it floods everywhere. So uh, just because you don't live next to the ocean or live next to uh, a, a, a lake or a river, uh, doesn't mean that you can't flood. Look at look at uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey in Houston, right? Uh, how how widespread that flooding was, and uh, and and the impact that it did, right? Those people that got flooded that were far away from the flood zone uh, never had never had an idea that it could flood. And so you know, get flood insurance. It's it's you know the average um, the average uh, premium is like seven hundred dollars a year, uh, and I know for some that may be a hard thing to do. But you're trying to protect your investment, right? You have to have car insurance, right? So you have to have a car uh, to get, you know, to work and do all those things that we all do. So, you know, protect that investment of your house. Your greatest investment, uh, it may cost you a little bit money, but, but you know, hopefully it, it, uh, it uh, keeps you in your house and, again, gets you back to normal uh, quicker. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing is you have to educate yourself about about what's around you. What, what's the what are the risks where I live, and uh, how do I uh, reduce those risks and mitigate those risks so uh, I'm ready for the next thing that happens. Uh, a lot of these things are, are not um, are not high cost kinds of things, um, but it really is awareness and and taking the initiative to uh, again protect yourself and your family from these things that will happen, right? And so, and then you have to believe that it can happen to me, right? It's, it can happen to me uh, and I need to take action. Um, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that I, I think that's, that's so well said is that understanding what the risks are yeah. where you're buying that house. Instead of getting wooed by the, the bells and whistles, the granite countertops, maybe they have some nice special carpeting in there or they painted recently, but it's the structural things about your house. Where could that flooding come from? Flood insurance isn't that expensive if you don't live in a flood zone. Yeah. I, I just think that people are reluctant to do this, especially in a competitive real estate market where you feel like if you are too questioning and demanding, they're just going to go on to the next guy. Yeah. I, and, you know, and again, I had, I, I, now these stories come back I, because I, I love 
as a film administrator, go out and talk to people. Uh, and, and I visited this, and I'm, I'm not going to name the, the state or the, or the locale, but uh, I talked to a woman who lived right on a lake, like on a lake that flooded. And it had just flooded. And I asked her, hey, do you have flood insurance? Nope. I said, uh, I said, uh, I, I, will you get flood insurance for the next, uh, the next storm or next flood? Nope. Uh, why? Because I don't need it. I, and, and, and still some, like some of the, lo like the logic in it, I'm not sure what the logic was that I've been flooded at least once. Uh, I, I had to pay for whatever damages happened in the first flooding. I could get flood insurance that cover, cover me uh, much to a much greater degree, but I'm not still not going to do it. Right. Uh, you know, whether it was, I don't trust the program. I don't trust the government. Uh, I don't, I don't believe in insurance. I don't know what it was, but it is kind of a head scratcher where it just happened to you, right. It happened to you and your neighbors and you still refuse to do things that are in your best interest. Now, I don't think it was a matter of like how much it costs, right? This is a pretty well-to-do neighborhood. Um, but uh, I don't know, some things are, are, are baffling to me sometimes about, it seems really obvious about what actions you should take to protect yourself and your family. And some people just refuse to do it. I don't know, I don't know why. Others do, but you know, there's a, there's a majority out there that just won't do it. Yeah, I I don't understand that at all. Why people don't? It's their it's their biggest investment, yet they probably put more money into things that that completely are irrelevant in their lives. Yeah. When I lived in San Antonio, Texas, we had the effects of a hurricane, a lot of rain in in um, 1998, and people that lived four or five miles from a river were flooded because of how high the water came up and. I just don't think people think about that. They don't look at a map and go, hey, there's a dam five miles up the road from me. What if that breaks? Yeah. I, we just don't think. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the, 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 the federal system is, is at, at odds with itself, right? It, it really is, um, you know, we, we haven't really, we don't really have a law or a policy about repetitive, like, so I'll pick flooding, repetitive flooding or, or repetitive disasters. You know, I, I, live in a, I live in a flood zone. I get flooded. FEMA comes, I, I get some money to build my back, build back my my house or life better. I stay where I am. Nothing changes with local code. It floods again, same cycle, right? I get money from the federal government. It floods again, I get money from the federal government. So we're not, I mean, speaking on on you know from the federal FEMA side, we're not helping ourselves with some of these programs that just logically don't make any sense. Uh, but again, if you're a you know local elected leader uh, or or a you know uh, you know congressman or senator telling uh, your constituents that hey by the way FEMA's not going to cover you anymore you know maybe that's maybe it's a bridge too far for elected officials to say that right to actually disincentivize some of the things that we do right so you know we have some I think the federal government has some things to do to kind of change that dynamic but if you know hey. FEMA will be here or the federal government be here to kind of, you know, give me money or give me resources uh, and I can stay right where I am, then maybe that's the easiest path for people. But we, we need to fix some things, I think, at the federal level to kind of change that dynamic. Yeah, a great neighborhood to look at. I live in Tampa, Florida, and so they're rebuilding a lot of houses. So a lot of older houses that are at ground, you know, sea level elevation, yeah. the flood level is 10 feet. Um, and so you see a brand new house way up in the in the air and then houses next to it that are, you know, are going to get flooded. 
And it, you just want to wonder, do these people have flood insurance? Are they thinking about it? Are they saying, well, then that'll be our indication to, to finally rebuild? Um, also, a lot of people putting wood on the second floor in an area that's prone to hurricanes. There's apartment buildings built down the road from us that are all built out of wood. Yeah. It's like, are they not hearing the message? <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's a head scratcher sometimes, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Could you, could you build out of more uh, weather-resistant uh, material like concrete, reinforced concrete, um, or, or, you know, a combination or, or, you know, better engineering standards to, to make that thing survive? Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's it's cheaper to let it, you know, let insurance cover it and and rebuild it. Maybe it's cheaper that way. I I don't know, but logically, uh, I think to me and you and most people, it makes no sense. Yeah, we know some people whose house was flooded um, a few years ago. From I think it was a tropical storm that that hit this area. So they're rebuilding, and I walked by there the other day, and they're doing the second floor wood, um, and you can see how they kind of have it bracketed on there. But I was explaining to my wife that. What are they doing? They know that this is a bullseye for a hurricane and they're it just it leaves me scratching my head. Anyway, yeah, the reason yeah. that I found you, I, I had seen you on TV uh, back in 2020, but you posted this article on LinkedIn. It was a post that gave a bunch of resources for people that I just thought was fantastic because it covered uh, earthquakes, high wind, designing roofs, uh, flood resistant. What motivated you to do that? Yeah, I, I think uh, so. I, I've always been uh, like a pro uh, building code, right? Modern building code, right? From as far back when I was a local, especially at FEMA, seeing like the like the impact of a disaster on a on a on a community that has no building codes, right? It's 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 sad and and it's completely avoidable if you took some action. Uh, and then again, you know, like I said, I'm about to build a new home and it's like, oh, I, I need to make sure that uh, I'm doing all the right things because I know I, you know, I can, the, in my head, right, I've, I've, I've been to floods, hurricanes, fires, you name it. I've been to all of them, earthquakes, and I see what, what happens to communities, to a home uh, that's improperly built, engineered, um, and, and, and more importantly, it's really not the structure itself. It's what happens to the people that live inside of it, right? Does my wife want to live in a shelter for six months? It's not happening, right? My, my, my wife is not going to put up with that. Uh, my family's not going to put up with it. I, I don't want to do it because I've seen it. So what can I do now? And so that's what kind of motivated me because I'm actually in the process of doing it. And I, I kind of want to make sure that I share all those resources out with uh, people that may be in the same uh, same circumstance or, or thinking about doing it, or they, they could share that out with people that are doing it. Uh, but again, all free resources uh, that are out there available from both the federal government and from the private sector who have an interest in all this, uh, um, you know, Flash is out there, uh, Fortified Homes is out there. You can find all those things online and again, free. And, uh, you know, look at those specs, hand them to your builder and say, are you building, you know, are you building this for me? Uh, uh, you know, when you when I build a new home or retrofit a, home, a new home, are you doing all these things that we should be doing? And if the answer is no, then you need to you need to take a serious look at, uh, you know, specs and, and the, the end result. Uh, you don't want to again, you don't want to get yourself in a jackpot when it's avoidable for, uh, for a small amount of, uh, of money. I think, it, the, let me answer for them right now. And the answer in most cases is probably no, 
Um, and you have to demand it. You know, when we were yeah. in uh, Moore, Oklahoma, the builder we interviewed, when they changed the building code, I think it added, they said $1.50 per square foot to the cost of construction, which she said was roughly adding granite countertops. And I said, what would have people have chosen if they just had the choice between granite countertops or the higher code? And he said, most people would choose the granite countertops. Yeah. And that tells you everything you need to know. It's like, we're our own worst uh, enemies as home buyers because we don't demand more. We let them get away with it. And as long as we don't hold them accountable, they will continue to get away with it. Yeah, I, I, and I agree. But again, I think it all starts with education. If, if you can arm people with that information and, and kind of make them see the light, then maybe they'll then make a different choice, right? Maybe they'll they'll uh, get a lower grade counter and do the other thing, or just or just say that investment of you know one point five percent of the total cost of the house. Uh, I'm going to make that investment uh, to make sure I can stay in the house you know, uh, without interruption, should a disaster occur. I mean, that's, that's kind of it. So education, I think is, is key, uh, making people aware of uh, what's out there, uh, what they can do on their own. So whether or not you have uh, strong building codes, right, in your community, doesn't really matter. Uh, if you're uh, educated, you're made aware, uh, you have the resources, you can build to whatever standard you want to build. Of course, it costs a little bit more money, uh, but don't let the lack of building codes determine your future, right? You should you should arm yourself with good information and demand, uh, you know, whether you're doing a retrofit or new, you know, a building a new house or buying a new house, that these things are part of uh, the future of your, uh, your 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 life and more importantly, the future of your family, right? Because it's not necessarily about the building; it's really about your about your family, right? The living people that are going to endure the pain and suffering that will come with. Uh, bad building codes. Yeah. I mean, I encourage everybody to watch, uh, I hate to plug my own film during your segment, but to watch oh, The Last it, House it. Standing and to see just how, how bad yeah. it is for people after a disaster. And I certainly want to follow up with you and see how your house comes out because you could kind of be like the heart surgeon that you see eating the big fatty steak, smoking the cigar. And you're going, wait a second, he should know better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We know you no, should I, know better. No, I know now. So now, like, I, I'm I'm really motivated now to make sure it all gets done right. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe I'll maybe I'll chronicle my my uh, my uh, my house build and 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 demonstrate all the things that I invested in. It's you I know, think so, you and, should. And, yeah. So and and, I, and honestly, is it going to cost me more money? Yeah, it will. But listen, it's it's from what I've seen in my life, it's the 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 amount of money is inconsequential to the 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 results that you will endure if you don't make that investment and again i think that if you get people to see that right you, you people would spend that money without a blink of an eye yeah the worst part of making our film is just seeing the pain in those people's faces that are just steamrolled by a disaster it's like yeah. there's that glazed look you you've probably seen it way more than i yeah, ever will yeah. it's unbelievable it's, it's, heart, it's heartbreaking right it's hot because you know that you know. You know. I mean, I'm getting back into my air-conditioned car, and I'm going to my air-conditioned hotel, and I'm going to get on a plane and go back to my, you know, my home, right? That's still standing, and I have running water, I have air conditioning, I have electricity, I have all those things, and you're leaving those you're leaving those people behind. It 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 is a is is it is gut wrenching, right? So I think back to my earlier point. If I could just take you know, uh, those people that haven't been impacted by disasters and transport them real time into the disaster, into the shoes of a disaster survivor while they're shoveling out 
uh, a shovel at a time looking for their their life mementos, you you would change the way we look at disasters in this country. I mean, I don't know how we can do that, but uh, it really is uh, it really is quite important that uh, people understand what's at risk. Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot, and you know, and and even we see it when in the rebuilds. I don't think they're doing enough, and it, it's it's scary. It's scary to see, and it, it, unfortunately, it's going to keep happening. So, if people want to get in touch with you and get more information about you, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? To yeah, to you can just you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not on, I'm not on Twitter. Uh, I gave that up. Uh, I'm not on Facebook. Never was. Uh, so I'm a I'm a LinkedIn kind of guy. Uh, my contact information's in there. You can either send me an email uh, or uh, direct message me. Uh, feel free. Uh, and I, I'll uh, try to be helpful where I can. Awesome. And I'm going to put all those resources that you had in your article in the show notes for this podcast, Great. because I think it's, it's huge for people to be able to click to fortified, to be able to go to all these different resources. And um, that was a great job putting that out there. Pete, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, George. And uh, best of luck with your house. I will. I will. Now I'm going to have to chronicle the whole thing now. Now, now you got me thinking. That could be a documentary film right there. That would be worth it, watching. It, it could be. It could be. All right. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. If you enjoyed what you were listening to, please share the link with your friends so they can become listeners too. And if you have any questions or comments, there's a contact form on our website. Tell us how to make it better.com. You can give me your thoughts about what you were listening to or suggestions for guests for future programs. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.